You are listening to Absent Minded, brought to you by HabsEyesOnThePrize.com. Hello and welcome to Absent Minded. My name is Jared Book. Joining me today is Matt Drake. Matt, how are you? I'm, I'm injured. I'm going to be out for 8 to 12 weeks. Yeah, it's significant news um, coming today from the Montreal Canadiens that Kirby Doc, who left Saturday's game, is out likely long-term with a significant injury. Those are the words used by the the organization. Just two games into the season, and we're already talking about a first long-term injury to a uh. young member in the organization. Yeah, man, I, I think we talked about it a number of times on podcasts leading up to the season, like that we wanted to see less man games lost to injury. It was never going to be zero though. So now we're going to get to see number one, uh, how does the new medical staff handle this? Right. Um, And number two, we're going to see how does Martin St. Louis handle his lineup because it's a little bit different than it was last year. And you you certainly have more bodies to play with. You've got some new guys as well, so uh, it should be interesting to see how this unfolds. Because we'll get we'll we'll get to maybe have some either critique or uh, praise of the medical staff, and then same thing for the coaching staff. Yeah, a lot of people are saying this is deja vu, and and really, it it, it not it really isn't because if it was deja vu, Kirby Doc would have played the rest of the first period. Uh, he, he he would have mm. been day to day for a couple of weeks. And then they'll be like, "Oh, he's 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 re- he's really hurt. It's going to be a few months now." Um, if it was really deja vu, that's what. I, and I'm saying that kind, mostly tongue in cheek. But it, it is refreshing that he didn't play on the injury, and they they got news on the first day that they came back from a day yeah. off. Like so, you know, all things considered, it, it it's. It, it it's at least looks like it's managed better from the outside, uh. You know, and we get the news before they even diagnose the injury fully, which is also uh, a refreshing change for people who wanted transparency and things like that as well. Uh. Yeah. So a, a lot of things that you know are are positive. You mentioned the roster, and it's also let, let's be honest, this is a, a fluke like contact injury, right? This isn't like he, you know, pulled something or it comes down. It's just a freak accident, right? And and I think that that's significant as well because, A, yes, you can say that Kirby Doc is injury prone, but really, you know, throughout his career, the injuries are like, are are blunt trauma, right? Like, it's not like he, you know, he pulls things, he, you know, tears and, you know, it's not things like that. They're, They're significant uh, reasons for this and yes there are things you can do to you know put your body in the right spot to prevent these but you know overall there's not really much you can do when you're being checked into the bench and and you know all kinds of body parts are hitting you and you know who knows what's going to happen uh, who knows what the injury actually is and we know it's lower body but still I, I wouldn't read too much into this even though there is a history of you know bracing for <laughs> for more bad news yeah well, when he was kind of skating around and testing out his leg on the ice after the hit, it looked to me, and not to play armchair doctor here, it, it looked to me, and I think a lot of people on Twitter mentioned the same thing, it looked like it was probably a knee. Um, so, I mean, it, until they give us more information, we're not going to know what it was. It, it was a clean hit by Tenorti, we should mention, I think. 
Um, I, I had no problem with that hit. I mean, it's something that a lot of defensemen go for and Doc's a taller guy. So of course it ended up putting him into the bench as well. Um, nothing wrong with the hit. It's just kind of, like you said, a, a freak accident uh, on the contact. So um, all we can really do is hope that they, they take this slow. Like you said, not have him day to day for like a, a week before they finally decide to announce it. And like, if it is something that's going to have him out for a month, two months, whatever, uh, start the rehab process immediately, right? We're, we 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 shouldn't be caring too much about wins and losses this season. It's still a rebuild process that they need to get through to the end of. And you know, no no sense risking anybody. Uh, let's just take a look at what are we going to do with the lineup moving forward. And they already announced too. The first thing they're going to do is just move Newhook to center, which I think makes perfect sense because he's got some pretty decent chemistry with Slavkovsky as well. And then the question is, who's going to come up and play on that other wing? And um, I mean, I think there's probably a lot of options that they could go with. Uh, I personally would prefer to see them bring Josh Anderson down from the top line and put him on that second line. You could have Newhook with uh, Slavkovsky and Anderson. Uh, and then I'd like to see Rafael Aripinar get shot straight up to the top line. I feel like he's outperformed uh, a fourth-line role so far in the two games that we've seen this season. I think he deserves uh, a chance to play up higher in the lineup. And uh, I, I honestly, because he had some chemistry with Suzuki last year, uh, when Caulfield was out, I'd say put him right on that top line and let's see what he can do. You might as well try it out. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that I think that Anderson, Newhook, and Slavkovsky played a couple of preseason games too, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I believe so. Yeah, I, I remember definitely Slavkovsky and Anderson played played together. I think Newhook was was part of that line as well. Uh, either way, it's it, it's an it, it's a. You mentioned the roster situation that they have flexibility. Newhook is a perfect example of that, right? Like it's uh, Newhook is is a guy who can play center. You can start wing, and they even had Doc who who played wing as well, right? Like last year, last season. Uh, so, I, I think it makes sense. Uh, I, I, yeah, I definitely would like those changes as well. I think Anderson would be good on that line with, with Slavkovsky and a new hook, and and yeah, I think I don't like him on that top line or with Suzuki and Caulfield. Anderson is a, is a much better player than he was, without a doubt. Uh, you know. Comparing him now to to the player he was when when Martin Saint Louis was hired, I really think you're seeing an Anderson that that's reading the play better, and he has become a better line mate for Caulfield and Suzuki. But I still think that there's there's different options, and he's not the best option there. So I, I'm there's lots of things that you can try and and figure out, and 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 like you say, the pressure to win games is not really is not really there. It, it it's kind of a, a transition year, a building year. Uh, you would obviously like to have your 22-year-old center <laughs> um, yeah. playing games in a year like that, but you know, <sighs> it's hockey, right? Hockey has injuries. Like you look at look at the NFL, football. There's injuries everywhere you look, yeah. and you know there's only so much you can do to prevent it. And the big thing is not you know doubling down or or, or making things worse. And I think that you know having him sit out the entire game and not coming back after, you know, skating around a bit was a, was a smart move as is just saying, listen, you're out long-term deal with the injury. You know, we're announcing it right away. We don't even know what really, what the injury is. Maybe it's a tear. Maybe it's, you know, who knows what it is. I, I don't want to speculate. I'm just saying what, you know, could be lower body injuries. Uh, typically you're looking, if yeah. it's not like a broken bone, it's, it's usually a tear. Uh, and if it's significant, it's not a, like just a strain or, or sprain or something. So, you know, there, there's lots of different options. I don't want to necessarily uh, speak too much about what it could be, but, but I think, you know, you get it figured out, you, you have them rest and, and go from there. Um, 
and you know hopefully it doesn't need surgery or anything like that and again there's nothing to suggest it does but obviously you know when your mind goes to significant that that's kind of where your mind goes unfortunately um yeah but but speaking about the the first two games of the season there there was a lot of positive uh aside from the obvious injury to the Kirby Doc you know three points out of four games um getting multiple goal leads to start both games is is a pretty solid start all things considered and, and what you want to see from this this group i think I mean, yeah, it was, I'd say, considerably better than you'd expect. I mean, while I, I shouldn't say that for the Chicago game, you look at those two <laughs> rosters on paper, I would say I'd look at that Montreal roster and be like, well, you guys better have a pretty good game there. Uh, but then the Toronto game, not the case, right? I was not expecting them to be that competitive against the Leafs. You know, you would obviously, <laughs> in retrospect, say I'd like them to not blow two different leads uh, against the Leafs, but that's a pretty formidable offensive team. So it's not shocking to me that, any team in the league could blow multiple leads to the Toronto Maple Leafs because if you don't keep, if you don't hold them down when you get them down, you know, they're going to come back. It's it's just going to happen. And uh, I also felt like Jake Allen didn't have his best game. You know, that first Matthews goal to get them back into it when they were at the end of the game with their, uh, with uh, their goalie pulled. Uh, I felt like that one was really weak. Uh, I think if he, you know, gets onto his post and makes a save there, we, we could be looking at a different final score in that game. We could be looking at two straight wins for the Montreal Canadiens in regulation right now. So um, really good performance for them in the first two games. The only unfortunate thing for me is that we got to come back to Doc here because the most impressive <laughs> line for me in those two games was the line of Kirby Doc at center with Uri Slavkovsky and Alex Newhook. Um, they've been absolutely fantastic. But instead of turning this into a negative thing, I want to just focus on the performance of Uri Slavkovsky. How good has he been in those two games? He looks like a completely different player than what we saw last year, doesn't he? Yeah, no, exactly. He's, he's, if no matter what happens to the Canadians this season, seeing Uri Slavkovsky playing the way he is, is as good news as you can get, right? Like, like you kind of know what you have in Kirby Doc, right? Like, like the, you know, there's a question about what's the ceiling and, but you pretty much know what you have in Kirby Doc, right? Like, you know, you have a top six center at, you know, basically at worst, Uh, you can play the wing they, they didn't know what they had in Uri Slavkovsky, right? They, they didn't know. And, and I think that, you know, you always hope that a, a first overall pick ends up being a, a solid player, but there were there were questions about how much he would improve. Uh, and, and I think that the answer so far is they, they have a player there, right? They, they have a player who's worthy of yeah. first overall. Um, you know, there's still some work to be done, but I think that it's clear he's a top six player at worst um as well and, and i think that that's that's as good news as you can get you can you know look at the results you can look at everything else that ha- having yet your like get establishing himself as a top six player is at 19 years old is is, is as good news as you can get for the montreal canadians and yes there's bad news that it's not the only good news you want but but that's a significant piece similar Similar to Doc last year, right? Like, I remember at the beginning of last year, right? You knew that Suzuki and Caulfield were future cornerstones of this team, right? You you knew that was the case. And then Doc playing so well made that a group of three, right? And now Slavkovsky joining that and making it a group of four is, is just growing this core of really good players and I think that that's that's yeah. as, you need that to happen, right? The Canadians rebuild in its current form needs Caulfield, Suzuki, 
Doc, Slavkovsky to be really good players. And and the, the on the, the right now they they seem like they're going in that direction, which is uh which is all you can ask for. Like the, the more players you get to join that core group, and, and I'm talking only about the forwards here. I'm not talking about everybody else or people who are in the minors. I'm talking about NHL players right now. That that's what you need. And and Slavkovsky joining that group is as good as news as as you can get from a Canadian's um, rebuild perspective because. It's not impossible for the rebuild to work if Sokovsky didn't pan out, but him panning out is but, yeah. is, is very important. <laughs> yeah, it, it makes a pretty big difference. I think you could throw Newhook into right. that conversation right. too at this if, point. If he does. Of yeah, maybe that, joining that forward core. If he does, that makes that trade even even better, right? Like like the Oh yeah. The 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 the, the talk when the trade happened was like, okay, you know, maybe top nine guy, you know, who knows where that offense is. But if he can become from a top nine guy to a top six guy, um, that that's more you can than you can ask for for a late first and an early second. Like that that's that's yep. what you want from those picks, right? So yeah, uh, you know, it's I I, th- I I was always a little bit more optimistic about Newhook. I, I don't think you completely lost that guy from that twenty nineteen draft, similar to similar to Doc uh, as well. Uh, but but uh, you know, once you see it score, you know, him scoring two goals in the first game. And and the chemistry he has, it's not only how he scored the goals, but but everything else around it, right? Uh, yeah. I, I think that that's that it's very very promising, uh, and and you know, establishing himself higher up in the lineup is um, is also huge. Like if you can make that like a group of five, um, it goes a long way towards what many people think about not having that like Connor Bedard superstar, right? Offensively. And yeah. you know, you look at the NHL; it, it's not really a superstar-driven league. It's just not like you, you need really good players. Don't get me wrong; uh, it helps if you have a superstar. But like, if it was a superstar, it doesn't guarantee driven, you anything. If it was a superstar-driven league, the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Edmonton Oilers would be much better off than they are. Yeah, like They'd have it, multiple cups, right? Or, or at least years. one, <laughs> or at least one appearance. At least one. right? Like <laughs> they haven't even made a cup final. Like either one of them, and there's a lot more that goes into it and you know you can say that oh you know austin matthews is not the same as Connor mcdavid but they kind of like he scored 60 goals in the season if you score 60 goals in the season you're an elite player um but but it's not only them like Sidney crosby jonathan taves patrick kane that, that those are the exceptions steven stamkos took how many years to win a cup like at least 10 right before before yeah. the his he was drafted in what 08 and i think it was they, 11 they, yeah, right. Eleven. Yeah, so like, it's, it's, yeah, exactly. Because it would have been nineteen um, that they won. So right. So, um, you know, even a guy like Stamkos needed to be surrounded by Hedman and then Point and then Kucherov. Like he didn't do it on his own. Um, even Crosby didn't do it on his own. He had Malkin and he had Fleury and uh, Latang and all. You know, like it, it's it's a myth. Like good good teams have good players, right? Like it's 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 yeah. not the other way around. A good player doesn't make a good team. So if the Canadians can collect, you know, top six forwards that are really good and collect, you know, top four defenders that are really good, that goes a long way. And yes, they need, I'm not saying that this core as it stands is a Stanley Cup winner, but it's a lot more important to have the supporting cast than having that one guy at the top of your lineup. Uh, and and I yeah. think that that's, you know, even a guy like Nathan McKinnon, he didn't do it alone. Like, like Colorado's a really good team, Landis Cog and, uh, and, and the car and 
Right, like, like there's there's Lekkonen, right? There's a, there's a there's a group of players there that I want. I, I don't want to cut you off, but I want to throw this out there too because I wrote it the other day in uh, my bottom six article. The, the, all this talk about not having the elite players, like what about Cole Caulfield, who's he's on a goal per <laughs> game right now and could be even higher than that. Like I think we're I think a lot of times when we talk about the Habs, you know, lacking elite talent, there it's it's not an incorrect thing to say because they don't have a Connor McDavid. They don't have a Nate McKinnon. They don't have uh, an Austin Matthews, but they do have a Cole Caulfield who looks like he's going to blow right past that 40 goal mark and, and maybe start challenging for 50 or even more. Um, he, he's not relying on his shot. Like you, you look at the goal that he scored the other night against Chicago. Um, he absolutely dog walked a defender and then goes in and goes backhand. I mean, that's not something that he was typically doing last year. He looks like he's evolving as a player and he's getting to a point where there's going to be a lot more variety in how he puts the puck in the net. And if you've got a guy in Cole Caulfield that's putting up, you know, a consistent 40 plus or, or even potentially 50 plus seasons, that's an elite talent. Right. That is absolutely elite in the National Hockey League. It's maybe not what you're looking for in terms of like a guy who's putting up 150, 140 points, but it's still elite. That is some elite talent in the top of your lineup. And he just so happens to be locked in at a much more reasonable price than you typically get those superstars for, right? So uh, th- th- this is going to be key for them is, is not only having, like you said, that mix of players that can that can really establish themselves as top six guys, but the fact that they don't have anybody who's really breaking the bank. So it's going to give them more money to work with to build a bottom six that it's, that's really nasty for the playoffs. Right. And I think that that's a really good I mean, it's it's not a conversation to have on this podcast specifically, no. <laughs> but it, it, it's a really good discussion to have about whether it's better to have six, seven, you know, seven million dollar forwards than having you know two or three eleven million dollar forwards and then trying to you know get guys on minimum contracts to fill out your roster, right? Like I think that, or even not even your roster, but like the rest of your middle six, right? Like it's, I think that there's a conversation to be had about it and. Um, it's it's really interesting, and and I think that more and more, yes, you need the elite talent, not only to contribute, but just to take attention away from other players, right? Like, yeah, like like the, the yeah. if you remember the the Canadians' final run, right when they went to the final in, in twenty in twenty one, yes, Price was outstanding in the first three rounds. I, I'm not taking anything away from him, but the biggest thing about that is that you had Philip Deneau, who wasn't scoring, but that line was taking all the tough minutes, playing against the opponent's top players. And then you have Nick Suzuki um, leading the team in scoring in the playoffs, right? Yeah. Like, it, it's... they there, There's, there's an, a way for a team to win without getting that elite player. Like, even if you have... Cole Caulfield, right? And he teams are keying in on him. And he's not a player who can, you know, get through that for whatever. I don't think that's necessarily the case because you see goals that he scored in that playoff run that um were pretty remarkable. Um, the one where he kicked it to himself. I, I'm thinking about the Russian on Vegas, um, specifically at the Bell Center, where he basically like mm-hmm. kicked it to himself and and sprung himself on a breakaway. Plays like that. Are, are what he's capable of. But even if you do, let's say, let's say you have your play going up against a Philip Dano who takes that first line out of the equation, you need to have that other line going, right? You're not going to have three lines of superstars. And, and I, and I think that that's, that's almost more important is to have players who can step up 
uh, when teams focus on the other guy. And, and that was the big thing about having the two lines going against Toronto is that you're not going to suddenly take your best players and put them on Kirby Doc's line and free up Suzuki and Caulfield um, either, right? Like, even though that line is torching you, you're not going to yeah. focus on them because you know that the other line could torch you too, right? Like, so it's, yeah. it's a chess match, right? Like, it's, you know, if you compare it to football, That's the right? trap. But, right. That's the right. trap the Leafs fell into. It's like they yeah. were so focused on Caulfield Suzuki that they forgot about the second line and they kind of had their way with Toronto. Exactly. Like, you know, if, if you're, if you're in football and you have a, a, an elite wide receiver, right. And, and the second guy is torching your second cornerback <laughs> and you're not going to necessarily move the first guy over to the cover the second guy and then have the second guy torched by the top receiver either. Right. Like it, it's, it's all yeah. about a pieces put together. And I think that that's more important than having that, that Connor McDavid, because you've seen it. When when that top guy doesn't score, who's gonna score for you? And, and I think that the Canadians, or not the Canadians, but teams that maybe have more spread out offense, are more are, are are better off in in the playoffs than teams that have that that one guy uh, that that can do everything. And and it's it's definitely like like that even that Toronto series in twenty twenty one, the Matthews line was was pretty much zeroed out by Dano. And the big issue is that after Tavares got hurt, the the and Nylander was scoring, but nobody else was for the Leafs, and and that was the issue in the end, right? They when when you're talking about one goal games, it makes a difference, yeah. and, and I think that that's that's the big thing is like there you need to have surrounded players. Like if it was really a superstar driven league, um, you know there'd be a lot more success in Edmonton and Toronto specifically. Um, but even before that, there's lots of examples of even when those superstars like Ovechkin won the cup, they did it so late in their careers. It wasn't instant. Yeah. Um, you know, you'd think that if you had an Alexander Ovechkin, you would win the cup or even a Steven Stankos, you win the cup within five years. Uh, it's not how it works. Look at, look at Wayne Gretzky. How many really good teams was he on after he left the Oilers without winning right. a cup? Greatest right. player in the history of the game. Uh, couldn't put it together like why was that right it's because you don't just need that one superstar right and the Habs are kind of building something where they're going to have good players throughout the lineup and maybe not that super elite player but you know it's you you got to pick your poison and I think the Habs proved in 21 that you can go very far in the playoffs without a consensus you know top five player in the league top 10 player in the league we haven't talked about this yet at all who would you say has been the best defenseman for the Habs through two games? Tough question. I, I I think that it's it's almost like the 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 sum of their parts is is greater than than the individuals, if that makes sense. Like like it, I I I would I want to say I want to say like it's hard because like the. The, the players you like, I think of that are playing the best aren't the ones that show show up on on the sheet. Um, but there's yeah. an argument you can make for all of them, except for David Savard. Um, no offense, <laughs> no offense, David Savard. But um, like I think Michael Matheson is so important. Caden Gooley is is very important. Um, Arbor Jacki has been really really good as well in in the minutes that he's been given. Um, I I think that Jordan Harris is is a part of that as well. Um, because you, I think they work off each other very well. Uh, Jonathan Kovacevic has been really good with Guli. The Guli Kovacevic pairing, I think, has been really, really good. 
Uh, I would say probably Caden Gooley yeah. has been the best, the best. But um, there's an argument you can make for really anyone because they're all really important, and yeah, they're just gonna get better too, right? Like it, it's, and there's so many guys in Laval too. Like it's, um, like this is what I mean. Like it's it's going like people are saying like. I'm, they're not sure about the rebuild. I don't know how you can't be, and you can never be sure, right? But there's enough there's enough talent here, and they have enough draft picks still in the pipeline, and and actual picks to be made that are high picks. That I I I don't see how it fails. Um, you know, it might not get to like the ultimate pinnacle, but. I think that there's at least a shell of a contender here and you can see it. You can see it through two games that there's a shell of a contender here. They still have to learn how to win, which is a big part of this, right? Like it's a, it's a major part of any, any young team, like the, the Crosby penguins had to lose in the playoffs and then lose in the Stanley cup final before they ended up winning one. Right. Um, And, and I think that there's, there's something to be said about that. And and this team is going to be learning how to win. Like, but you can see the bones, right? Like, the, the bones are good, <laughs> if that makes sense. And I think that it's it's a matter of time. But yeah, the defense it does. Is, the defense is is more of a committee than it is one guy. But again, that's the same as the forwards. Well, right? Like the the reason I ask the reason I ask is yeah, clearly right. for, for me far and away the best looking pairing has been Guli Kovacevic. I'm not taking anything away from the rest of them. Savard and uh, Matheson are eating the toughest minutes and they're, they're doing okay in those minutes. So I, I, I'm not trying to dump on them. Yeah. Uh, Jack guy and Harris, uh, they, they've been very physical. Um, they, they haven't contributed too much offensively, but you know, I think that'll come, but the Guli Kovacevic pairing is one that I advocated for in the off season. And I didn't know it was going to be that good. I thought it would be pretty <laughs> decent. I didn't know it was going to be as good as it is. And Caden Guli, if I, if I'm going individual player, that's impressed me the most in the blue line, it's him. Uh, right now, and I know this is a small sample, so I don't want to sit here and just list off a bunch of stats, but they're over 80% scoring chances for when he's on the ice, over 85% high danger chances for when he's on the ice. You can't get shit done against the Montreal Canadiens when Caden Gould is on the ice. Did you see that sequence against the Blackhawks where Bedard was down in the corner and he did, I think, three or four turns where he's trying to lose Caden Gooley so he can go around the net. And Gooley just stuck with him. And then at the end of it, Bedard turns and faces him and Gooley just plants him into the boards, turns the puck over, and it goes the other way. That's a an extremely good skater in Connor Bedard that Caden Gooley just stuck with the whole way. And then immediately when he got the opportunity to get physical with it, he did. Uh, but he didn't go over the line, right? Because the rest were calling anything that the Montreal Canadiens did in that game almost like they were trying to give some extra power plays to the Connor Bedard Blackhawks. I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. But point being, Caden Gooley, masterful on defense, and then they're turning that into offense. Once they can really build this blue line out, right? Once guys like Reinbacker, Engstrom, uh, Mayu, uh, Trudeau, uh, keep going down the list of all the younger guys, once we really figure out who of those guys is going to step into big roles with the with the club, I, I think we're going to see this, this defense develop out to a point where, again, similar to the forwards, you may not have a superstar who's putting up a point per game, but you will have a very effective blue line that can shut things down at one end and turn that into transition going the other way. That's precisely what we're seeing Caden Gouley do right now. And, you know, he for, for all the lack of flash that he might have in his game, it's just been so quietly effective to the to the tune of, like I said, well over 80% scoring chances and high danger scoring chances for when he's on the ice. Now, yes, one of those games is against Chicago, but the other one is against the fucking Leafs. 
So <laughs> that's usually a team that's going to get way more scoring chances than you do, just as a result of having the elite players that they have. And so far, Caden Gooley and Johnny Kovacevic have flipped that on its head. Uh, they did it against the Leafs. They did very well against the Blackhawks as well. That pairing's been fantastic. If the other pairings can start getting up to that, even anywhere close to that level of effectiveness in terms of limiting chances against and being able to springboard that into transition and into offense, um, you, you could eventually see this team, you know, kind of running show against some of those lower level teams in the league. This is really not going to be a bottom five team based on what I've seen in these two games. It's not going to be a bottom five team this year, maybe bottom 10, uh, maybe bottom five. If, if knock on wood, the injuries keep coming, but I, I see a much, much, much better team than I did last year. And a lot of that has to do with what I'm seeing from the point in particular, that pairing with Guli and Kovacevic, they've been great. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's a key. Like Caden Guli is not like Kale McCarr. <laughs> he's not even Victor Hedman, right? Like he's just, he's just so solid though. Like I, I don't see a, a world where he fails, right? Like he's, he reminds me, he, he reminds me a little bit, and this is just Hab's brain maybe, he reminds me a little bit of pre-knee injury Andre Markov. A that little was pretty bit. good. <laughs> right? It was like, pretty good. <laughs> like that's the whole thing. Like it's it, it's 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 part of the the building of of a of a team, right? And you can you can say that you know the Canadians should have drafted uh in in that ghoulie year, they could have drafted a guy like Dawson Mercer. Right, who's who's tearing up the the score sheets in in New Jersey? They could have drafted, you know, at number five. They could have drafted a Zach Benson. They could have drafted a Madvey Mitchkov. They drafted a David Reinbacher. There's something to be said about building a team, and I'm not saying drafting for need. I'm saying draft like every team needs those those top top defenders, right? Like guys that can transition defense to offense, shut down defense on yeah. one end, transition it. Every team needs guys like that. You, you look at Colorado, they just paid a guy like Devin, uh, Devon Taves a, a lot of money for being that kind of guy, right? He's not Keo McCarr, but he's one of the best defenders in the league, whether he plays with McCarr or whether he was with the Islanders. Like he's just seen as one of the best defenders in the, in the league. Not overly sexy, but he gets the job done and is very, very effective at what he does. And I can see, you know, a, a Gooley, Reinbacher, even if they're not a pairing necessarily, but if you have one of those guys for like 50 minutes of a 60 minute game, you're, you're, yeah. you're, you're, yeah. you're, you're off to a pretty and good then, start. Like, and then behind it, them, you're running a guy like Lane Hudson, who just <laughs> brings nothing but skill to the table. Like you, <laughs> Man, you can shut them down, and then you can turn that into offense after. Right. Like, you know, even even if you say, let's say the first two pairings, I, I'm just throwing this out there. It's not. I'm not saying. Let's say you have Guli. Why not Kovacevic? Right. Let, let's just or you know Guli, um, and, and then you have uh, Reinbacher, Hudson, and then the third pair is like Harris and. Kovacevic or Harrison Barron or Barron and Mayu or Harrison Mayu or uh, Norlander and Mayu. Like they've been good in Laval. Who knows? Trudeau, you you, you name any defense, pro Engstrom. I didn't even mention Engstrom. You, you know, any one of those guys on a different pair and suddenly you have a team that is like, who do you score against? <laughs> right? Like that. that's, that's the whole thing is like team building a team. And I'm not saying drafting for need. I'm saying, 
you you need guys like Gooley and Reinbacher on any team. Like it's not like you're drafting a center because you need centers. You're not drafting a right D because you need right D. You need players like that to fill out your roster. And and then and and those guys don't really become available unless you're Joe Sackick and you're a ninja. Um <laughs> and, and, and and can get, you know, Devin Tays for for two second round picks. But you know, or or you're Kent Hughes and you turn Alexander Romanov into Kirby Doc or two late yeah. picks into Alex Newhook, right? Like <laughs> it's the the bones are there. And I don't want to overhype this. I don't want to say like they're they're definitely gonna be a, a Stanley Cup winner or contender, but you can see you can see it, it you don't have to squint to see it, right? Like that's that's the main thing through these two games. You don't have to squint anymore. You can see it. You can yeah. see it when you watch the games that this is a a young team that's just gonna get better. Uh and the question that will end up happening is how much better will they get? That that's basically what we're gonna yeah. be looking at for the next 80 games. Um, because I, I can definitely see a playoff team with, with the, the team on the ice and the prospects coming up and the development that needs to happen. I, I can see it. Like it, it doesn't take a genius there's, to see it. Like it, it's there's a universe where with the team they have right now, barring injuries, of course, with the right goaltending, like if Semyon Montambo plays any yeah. like like he did last year, there's a universe where this team now could sneak in as a wild card. I, yeah, I know that's, it, it, that's going to sound nuts of, to some people, but if they were in the I'm Western seeing good enough hockey. If they were in the Western Conference, you're, yeah. <laughs> you're it's a lot it's a lot easier to see that path. The For issue sure. the issue that I have with that path is not the Canadians. Like I could definitely see the Canadians being successful. It's that they have to be more successful than the Pittsburghs, the Washingtons, the Islanders, the Rangers, yeah, the 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 the, the, the Sabers, the Red Wings, the Senators, and then you have the Panthers, the Bruins, the Lightning. The, like like there's a lot of teams that have to be bad for the Canadians to sneak in, right? Like look at Buffalo last year, right? They yeah. finished with like 91 points, one point out of the playoffs. Right. I, I can see Montreal and people are going to be like, oh, no, you don't want to finish in that spot. But I can see them kind of in that range this year. And I said in my bold predictions before the season started, they're going to be closer to a playoff spot than they are to last place. And and I, and through two games, I, I see nothing that dissuades me yeah. from that other other than the fact that Kirby Doc uh, is out long term, obviously. Um, but but yeah, like you don't have to like the. You don't have to like it. It's very clear to see where this team can be successful. And yes, they they have work to do, right? They, they need they need to find that person that plays with Suzuki and Caulfield for the first like. There's, there's things that, yeah, I mean, there, there's players that you can see there. It, it doesn't take a lot of, you know, uh, a guy on a pace for 144 points in the AHL. Um, you know, might not take that that long to get to the NHL. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about that as well because I'm going to be talking about the the Raval Rocket in a, in a podcast later this week. But yeah, you can you can see how this team gets gets through, and that's going to be very fun to watch. Like th- this is the year that the rebuild gets fun. Hopefully, as I'm knocking on wood too, um, that we don't have as many injuries. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I mean, hopefully, this is the end of it, um, and they're not going to continue having guys that are out for extended periods of time or at least not the start of it doc. like it doesn't like it doesn't have to be the end of it like Kirby yeah doc does not, yeah but at least it's not the start of like this downward spiral that, that's all we can ask for. it's like yeah i i would love to see joshua Hoyt. I'm, I'm not going to steal your thunder i know you're going to do a rocket <laughs> podcast but i think everybody listening if you don't already know he's played two games of regular season in the ahl and he has four points two goals two apples 
the kids <laughs> the kids probably better than most AHL players he probably deserves a spot in the NHL I understand why they're keeping him down in the A but you know if there are further injuries he's one of the first players I'd like to see call up luckily they you know they've they've got a roster as such right now with Michael Pizzetta, who has been in the press box for the last two games where they don't have to call anybody up. Right. Yeah. So there's, there's really no question. It's pretty easy for them. It's like, well, Paz you're in and we'll just have to adjust our top six a little bit to make it, uh, to, to make it work for the next couple of games or however long Kirby doc is out for. But, you know, if another body, if another spot comes available, that, that would be my first call. I think Leah Sanderson's made a pretty good case for himself as well. Yoel Armia obviously has a lot of experience and has made a case too, but Right now, they don't need to pull anybody up from there. But then this this kind of goes back to what you were saying, how you can you can see the path to them competing. I mean, when you look at the minors as well, you're seeing guys having excellent performances to start the season. On top of that, they've gone 1-0-1. So they haven't even lost in regulation yet at the NHL level. So, you know, sure, they they probably aren't competing for a playoff spot this year, and that's totally fine. Uh, but you, you got to like what you're seeing overall. Yeah, I think that, this year is kind of the year where you, you know you see kind of like the 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 ups and downs more than just constant downs, uh, and, and I think that next year is the year we really start talking about where can this team go, and and for yeah. right now, yeah. for for right now you're kind of um, in, in you know enjoying you know the the seeing the the spurts right seeing Slavkovsky play well doesn't matter what happens in the game, right? Like seeing him play well is fun, is good. Seeing Caulfield score, all those things are are good. Uh, and then, you know, next year is the year where you really start worrying about, oh, why, why did that play happen? Why, why, why did, why, why did they not, you know, practice six on five in, in training camp? Um, yeah. And why are they giving up all these late games? Um, You know, it, it, all, all of those things come in time. Right. And, and I think that that's, um, you know, the, the scrutiny will come, it, it will, we'll, we'll call it as it is. Like, we're not going to just, you know, if, if they go on like a 17 game losing streak, we're not going to be like, oh, but all the young players just wait. Um, I, I, you know, we're going to call it as it is, and it's going to be very interesting to see how it goes. Absolutely. Matt, thank you for, for joining me. Uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, Habs eyes on the prize.com. If you, if you aren't uh, used to going to that website, if you're only listening to the podcast, go to the website as well. And uh, we have all uh, of this in, in writing form and in other, uh, in other things as well. Uh, and uh, we appreciate all your support. And uh, we'll see you next time on Have Some Ideas.